0: The text for this afternoon's service is from Matthew 26, the verses 21 and 22. Let's read those once again. While they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, surely not I, Lord, After the sermon, we will sing from Psalm 26, the stanzas 1, 2, and 4. Beloved congregation of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, as you read about the last days of the Lord Jesus here on earth, you are left wondering and left perplexed about certain things, aren't you? We wonder about all the evil that unleashes itself against the Lord Jesus. We see the depravity of man and to what depths he can fall if he allows himself to be swept along by evil forces. But there is one thing that is particularly difficult to understand, and that is how it is possible that one of his disciples one of the disciples of the Lord Jesus would betray him. How is it possible that such a man like Judas, who has been around the Lord Jesus for well over two years, how is it possible for him to do what he did? Just think about it. He, just like the rest of the disciples, had seen the miracles that the Lord Jesus did. He had seen how he raised the dead, how he healed the sick. He had seen the great power that he possessed. He had experienced firsthand how the Lord Jesus could see right through people. Judas also heard the words that he spoke and that he spoke the truths always. In short, he had seen what an incredible human being he was. And yet, in spite of all that, Judas rejected the Lord Jesus. He cowardly betrays him. He resolutely forges ahead and goes to the enemy and promises to hand him over at the most opportune moment. Judas presents himself to the Sanhedrin, the scribes and Pharisees who are a thorn in Christ's side. The very men whom the Lord Jesus had said that they had Satan and not God as their father in heaven. He hands them over to such men for a paltry sum of money. You may say Judas must have been an especially perverse and wicked man. How else would you explain his actions? What else would him make? What else would it make to do the things that he did? How do you answer that question? How do you understand a man like Judas? We might be tempted to draw up a psychological profile of him and to find out what exactly his fatal character flaw was. Or we could demonize him, as often has been done in the past, where he's held up as the epitome of evil. Indeed, even today, his name is mentioned along that of other traitors in this world, His name has become a curse. It's identified with treasury and greed and disloyalty. And therefore, no parent today would name their child Judas. But why? What exactly is his sin? Does he he deserve the reputation that he has? Well, there is no doubt that his sin was great. Actually, his sin was greater than we might even realize. The depth of his depravity knew no bounds. However, his sin was not as unique as you may think. It is not so that Judas was a great exception in the history of mankind. No, when it comes right down to it, we are all guilty of the same sin and depravity as Judah, and we have the potential to do the same thing as he did. Indeed, this horrible sin is also found amongst us, even amongst the very people here in this building, and I include myself in that. But that may make you wonder, for this may make us somewhat uncomfortable in our seats. You may ask yourself, could I really be a Judas? Could I sink that low? Would I do something as despicable as he did? Surely Not I, Lord. And so you question yourself, just as the disciples did. They were disturbed by the possibility. And so they, like us, had to look into their own hearts. And that's exactly what the Lord Jesus wanted them to do. And that's what he wants us to do as well. For we are capable of betraying the Lord Jesus. And that's what the text of this afternoon will highlight for us. I will preach to you about how the Lord Jesus confronts all of us in the betrayal of Judas. We will see that he confronts, first of all, his disciples, in the second place, his betrayer, and then finally, us. The disciples of the Lord Jesus were ordinary men. They were not really any different from you or from me. They were sinful men, with all their faults and shortcomings, they all had their own peculiar personalities as well. For example, Thomas, he was a careful man. He was not impulsive. He wanted to be sure before he believed. He was also an honest man. He admitted his doubt. You knew what he was thinking. Peter was somewhat different. He was much more impulsive. He was not as careful as Thomas and some of the others. But he was also an honest man. You also knew what Peter was thinking. He would tell you what was on his mind. He did not leave you guessing. And then there were men such as James and John, the sons of Zebedee, also known as the sons of thunder. They were ambitious men. Their zeal was great. They did their utmost to show their worth. And that is why they also thought that they would have a privileged position in the kingdom that the Lord Jesus was about to establish. And for that reason, their mother asked on their behalf which one of the brothers would be sitting on the right and which one on the left. In other words, which of the two would have the most important positions in the kingdom? That's a question that actually kept all of the disciples busy. They were all ambitious men. They were all intent on making their mark in the world. They were interested in one thing, to establish the kingdom of God here on earth. They wanted things to be like they were before during the glory days of the nation Israel, when Israel was a nation to be reckoned with. Indeed, that was their ambition to the bitter end for even after his death and resurrection, just just before the Lord Jesus ascended into heaven, that was the question that was uppermost on all of the disciples' minds. For they asked the Lord Jesus in Acts 1 verse 6, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They wanted to establish God's kingdom on earth, they thought, that is what it was all about. And they wanted to have an important position in that kingdom. And so, Judas, in that regard, was not any different from any of them. As you know, he was a very ambitious man. He too was disillusioned about the political circumstances of his beloved country. And that is why he joined the Lord Jesus and the other disciples in the first place. He thought that they could make a difference. He wanted to escape the yoke of the Roman oppressors. His personality, though, although unique, was not unlike the rest. Like Thomas, he was a careful man. He was not impulsive like Peter. He was somewhat reserved. He kept the thoughts to himself. The others didn't know what he was thinking. He could keep a secret. He seemed like a man in control of things, a man in control of emotions. No doubt, the others also noted that about him. For that reason, they made him the treasurer. He was the kind of man you could depend on. He would not spend the little money they did have on frivolous things, spending it foolishly. But one thing the disciples did not know about him. They did not realize how slowly but surely he became totally disillusioned with the Lord Jesus. It wasn't going in the way that he would like. Judas could see the writing on the wall. The ministry of the Lord Jesus was not going in the right direction. For one thing, they were spending all the money. And money was needed in order to gain influence in this world. It was needed in order to overthrow the Romans. But their coffers were getting emptier and emptier. And furthermore, they did not seemed to make any political gain either. People were not rallying behind them in the way that they should. They weren't getting anywhere. And so in the end, Judas, the careful planner and thinker, wants to get out before it's too late. He foresees that the whole thing is going to be a fiasco. And so he begins to plot and to scheme. He went to the Pharisees and the chief priests and told them that for money, he would hand over the Lord Jesus to them. How the chief priests and the Pharisees would have loved to see him come. How they will have wrung at that time their hands with delight. Finally, we are able to get revenge. Finally, we'll be able to put this man, Jesus of Nazareth, in the right place and get rid of him. One of his own is going to betray him because he too is fed up with him and can't stand to be around him. How it also hurts when one of us, especially a prominent member of the church, is exposed as a dishonest person, as a fraud. That's what Jesus was, or that's what Judas was. He played right into the hands of those Pharisees. He played right into the hands of Satan. And when someone from among us does that, and we wring our hands and say, and the people will wring their hands and say, See, those people, those Christians, they are not as good as they make themselves out to be. Look at those hypocrites. And so, in this way, Judas played right into the hands of Satan. But the Lord Jesus knew exactly what was going on in the mind of Judas. He knew what he was thinking and what he was doing. Yet note well that the Lord Jesus does not expose him. To do that would have been premature. Judas had to do what he had set out to do. But Judas also had to be given the chance to repent from his course of action. And that is why in the upper room where they were together to eat the Passover meal, he stated, just as they were eating, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. What an ominous statement. What a thunderclap in the midst of tranquility. He says this while they're all sitting there. He doesn't single Judas out, and no one suspects him either but he does cast a shadow of doubt on all of them. His words hit a raw nerve. The eating of a meal, and especially a Passover meal, is a very intimate activity. To eat together is always an activity of closeness, of togetherness, of solidarity. And now the Lord Jesus makes a statement which breaks that unity, that they feel, and it makes them shake in their boots. He shatters their peace. He points a finger at each and every one of them. He does not give any indication as to who the betrayer might be. He only has a private conversation with Judas. And so they are left to ponder and to wonder. They are left in an uncertain state of mind. And yet as horrible as these words of the Lord Jesus were, no one doubted his words. No one thought that he could be making a mistake. No, they knew him well enough. The Lord Jesus doesn't play games. Their first thought was not to point fingers, not to point their finger at others. Their first thought was not, would it be him or him? No, the Lord Jesus had to make had to make them look at themselves. And so one by one they said to him, Surely not I, Lord? I'm not the one, am I? You don't think that I would be capable of such a thing, do you? Could it be that my love for you would not be enough to prevent such a horrible thing? Is it possible? You see, this was quite a tense moment for them. The words of the Lord Jesus cut them to the heart. They had seen the Lord Jesus at work, how He can see right through people and how he directs. And now he directs a question to them, such as, one of you will betray me. Why does he do that? Why does he leave them in suspense? Why does he put them all under suspicion? Why does he leave them guessing? Why does he make them doubt? Why does he say such a thing at the last night together with them? And there's only one answer to that question. The Lord Jesus wants them to examine themselves. He wants each and every one of them to realize what they are capable of. Yes, they could do such a thing. For they are not any different from anyone else. In essence, they are all betrayers. For that is the nature of man. He always takes the way of least resistance. He goes with the flow. He is out to protect his own hide. And without the Spirit of God, we are not any different either. Peter, the one on whom the Lord Jesus is going to build his church, the rock, is also about to betray him. The cock will crow three times and Peter will know what he has done. Do you think that you or I would be any different from Peter or Judas? In our own lives, how often do we not betray the Lord Jesus? We betray him, for example, when we cover our own sins because we want to protect our own hide, because we have our own agenda. We betray him when we put our trust in earthly treasures. We betray him when we selfishly look at our own interests first, before we look at the interests of others. We betray him when we go along with the sinful activities of the world, because we don't want to rock the boat when we go along, for example, because we are afraid to lose our job or our position or our reputation. And these things go on in our lives all the time. And that's why, brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus makes this statement. He wants the disciples and therefore also us to look into our hearts and to make us realize how corrupt we all are. He wants them and us to realize that we are capable of any perversion and any sin. Let no one stand in judgment. For you see, brothers and sisters, the great sin of Judas is not the fact that he betrayed him. Men have done worse things than that and yet been forgiven. For as you know, there is forgiveness for every sin. There is not a sin so great or the Lord Jesus will forgive you. But you must seek forgiveness. And you must seek it in faith. You must want to put your life totally into the hands of the Lord Jesus and trust in him. And if you reject him, and if you reject him time and again and harden your heart, then you will sin against the Holy Spirit. And that is what Judas did. The other 11, they allowed themselves to be corrected so that they could repent. They allowed the Spirit of Christ to enter them and to lead them to the truth. For time and again, we see as the Lord Jesus deals with his disciples that they allow themselves to be humbled. Oh, sure, they fell into sin. Look at Peter. Look at how he sinned against the Lord Jesus. But the Lord Jesus forgives him. Christ did more than that even. He embraced him with his great love for him. And so what then was the great sin of Judas? The great sin of Judas was this, he did not want to humble himself. He had his heart set on a prominent place at the side of Jesus and he wanted to gain that place by hook or by crook. He wanted men to admire him. He wanted to have power over others and he did not want to repent. He wanted to have glory. He wanted to have his own glory, not God's glory. And it is for that reason that he became so resentful and disillusioned and betrayed the Lord Jesus. Think about the sons of Zebedee in that connection. The Lord Jesus corrected them, for they openly confessed their earthly aspirations. And then he set them right back on the right track. When James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were corrected by the Lord Jesus, they accepted it. They didn't go on as before, as Judas did. Oh, sure, it will have been hard for them. They had a certain vision. They had certain plans for the future. They had to rethink it all and to adjust. And that's never easy. And yet, they adjusted their lives. They took the rebuke. Judas didn't. That's the difference. He wanted to maintain his own agenda. He did not allow himself to be corrected. He wanted to go on with his own life in the way that he saw fit. He wanted to trust in his own ways and to do what is good in his own eyes. Judas was a proud man. He was a stubborn man. And because of it, he became a condemned man. And so what about you and me? We too, by nature, are betrayers. There are no exceptions and it is a horrible thing that must be said about us. We fall into the same sins time and again. But the question is, do you allow yourself to be corrected? Do you struggle with your sin? Do you humble yourself before God? Do you allow yourself to be humbled? Judas thought that money and prestige were the answer to everything. He wanted to make a name for himself. What about you? What's your ambition? Is it also what you want? Is it your aim in life to heap up riches for yourselves so that others can admire who you are and what you are capable of? Do you have a hidden or not so hidden agenda that will bring you to that goal? Is it your aim to make your mark in life in some other way? By your position in the community because of your superior education or your superior job or business? what is it that you want out of life? Think about it. Or do you, on the other hand, pretend to be a disciple of Jesus while in the reality you are not his follower? If that's who you are and you do not allow yourself to be corrected, then your ambition will also bring you to the same goal that Judas reached. It was not, however, the goal that he envisaged. It was the opposite. He ended up totally in the arms of Satan. Brothers and sisters, Lord Jesus wants us to examine our lives all the time. He wants us to examine where our lives are going. He wants you and me to ask, is it I, Lord? But when you ask that question, ask it with a view to the Lord Jesus. Ask that question as you look him square in the face in the full realization what our betrayal has done to him. For when the disciples asked the question, their concern was first for themselves. They were anxious to be acquitted of wrongdoing. They did not really think about the Lord Jesus himself, did they? But he was the one who was going to be betrayed. He said so himself. He was about to be thrown to the wolves. He was about to suffer and to die at the hands of his enemies. He was about to be abandoned by man. He was about to be abandoned by God. A most horrible suffering was about to take place. But their concern was for themselves, not for him. Surely, not I, Lord, I couldn't be the one The Lord Jesus wants them to come to an answer in their own minds. And he wants you and me to do the same. And once you realize the answer to that question, then you also realize what he has done for you and for me. For then you know from what you and I have been delivered. You have been delivered from your sinful state, from your treachery. You have been given a new life. But that is why all the days of your life you must also ask, Is it I, Lord? Where am I going? Ask it. Am I going your way? For you want to know if you are going on the wrong road. You want to know if you are going on the road to destruction. You ask, is it I, Lord, because you want to go straight? Oh, sure, Judas also asked that question, but he only asked it because he didn't want to be discovered. Outwardly, he was not any different from them, but inwardly, he was. He did not ask in order to be set straight. He asked because he wanted to cover his tracks. And you may be able to fool people, For at that time he fooled the other disciples. But you cannot fool God. He did not fool the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when you ask that question, you have to ask it because you abhor deceit. Because you want to walk in your integrity. Ask because you love the Lord. And you do not want anything to stand in the way of your relationship with him. Because ask, because you know that if you do, he will forgive you. He will forgive you time and again. And so pray. Pray to the Lord, as David did in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if I from your ways depart. Amen. Mm -hmm.